Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. And in this session, we're going to be chatting with Cara Saletto. And I was actually introduced to Cara from Kathy Fialk, who she's another one of the presenters in the summit. And I was talking to her about some of the areas that I wanted to try and find some strong female speakers, and one of them being the HR space. And she said, ah, you've got to chat with Cara. So after the introduction, I did a little bit of research and a little bit of side information here. Uh, We are born in the same year. And her specialty is actually bridging the gap to reduce unnecessary employee turnover. So she'll tell you a little bit more about that, but she's been in the space for over 14 years and she's got some great industry recognition from things like Workforce Magazine, who called her a game changer, and also Recruiter.com, who named her as one of the top 10 company culture experts to watch. So she knows her stuff in this space and it's one of the few people who kind of can help in in this particular problem with employee turnover of of people of our generation. (laughs) Um, So it's with great pleasure that I get to welcome Cara to the call. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me, David. Yeah, it should be great. And I know you've got a step-by-step process you're going to take us through. So I'll hand over to you. And if it's all right with you, what I'll do is I'll just kind of chime in if I've got any questions as we go. Perfect. Sounds good. So Let's talk about the new workforce. A lot of people are very familiar with the real estate market and how it switches back and forth from a buyer's market to a seller's market, depending on supply and demand. Well, that same philosophy is true in the employment market. So there are times when we are in an employer's market where the companies have an upper hand, they have an advantage and can find and keep talent pretty easily. Then there are other times, such as today, when we are in an employee's market. And that is when our candidates, our applicants, and even our current employees really have an upper hand. They have an advantage because almost everybody is hiring right now. And so it means that they have choices. They can go elsewhere if they're not happy, if they're not happy with their schedule, if they're not happy with their boss, whatever it is, they know that they can go elsewhere. So what I want to share with you today is kind of ways that we can treat our employees more like internal customers. We have evolved over time for our external customers, changing our products and services over time based on what they need and what their expectations are. But I'd like to share with you how our workforce really has evolved over the last 30 years and then what we can do about it from an operational and training and management standpoint. Uh, Some very solid, concrete ways to really transition the way you've been doing things over to a way that is much more employee friendly as we're battling other companies across all different industries in this battle for talent and and the workforce we need. So 
First, I wanted to share the generational shift that has been happening. Now, of course, depending on which country you are in and what culture you are used to and where you do business, it's going to vary as far as what the names of each generation is and or what years they were born. But in general, if we just think about the evolution of the workforce over time, we had a generation, which would have been my grandparents' generation, that they went through very difficult times. We had the Great Depression here in the States. And so if they were raised during a time like that, and anyone who was raised many, many years ago, decades ago, during very lean times, it's no wonder that that workforce tended to be much more grateful. They were happy to have a job and to have stability and security and safety. Then after that generation, uh, here in the States, we had the baby boomers, which was a huge generation. And that group really came into the work world as the business world was exploding. We transitioned over into the information age. And so this group, now most of them are in their 60s, you know, even 50s, but, but more 60s. And so that group started working harder. They wanted to make more money and to achieve more in their career. So they worked harder. They started staying later, working on the weekends, and and just pushed through the regular work hours uh, to get more done. Now, for most of the baby boomers and, and folks in that generation, it wasn't necessarily just for greed or to be rich. It was really to provide a better life for their family. So what we found is they worked harder and harder in order to um, make sure their kids got what they wanted and that they didn't have to share everything or take hand-me-downs from other family members. And so a lot of folks at that time just started working a lot harder and thus pushed those expectations onto the next group of staying late and stay till the job gets done, do what you're told. And the group that came after that here, we call it Gen X. Now the Gen Xers, what a lot of people don't realize is in many countries, that generation who's now in their 40s and and some upper 30s, that generation is a lot smaller than the generation who came before them, which means when they came into the work world, they learned from that larger cohort, that larger generation that told them, this is what professionalism looks like, and here's what work ethic is and what we expect from you. So even though that generation, for example, those women did not want to wear pantyhose, okay? They did not want to wear nylons, and but all the companies had those types of policies. And so they would force those expectations and those definitions of professionalism and work ethic over to that next group. Now, they wanted to push back, but because that generation was quite small, they were unable to really make much traction in changing the way business was done. Then came the millennials. (laughs) So (laughs) this group now is, um, you know, depending on who you ask, there's no governing body that says who the generations are, but most researchers say they were born somewhere between 1980 and 2000 
give or take a few years. Now, the difference is this generation is huge. We are gigantic. And so this group who is now our new workforce, uh, if we use those years of 1980 to 2000 as birth years, that means you're looking at workers who are 16 to 36. For most of our clients across all different industries, they say that that group, the age 16 to 36, is the majority of their new hires. So that's why we do so much work and focus on understanding this millennial mindset. Now, with that said, it's not about your birth year. That's why I don't really care about when you were born exactly. It's more about your mindset and how you were raised. Because there are even some young millennials who are in their 20s today, but they actually think much more traditionally. And so we tend to call them old souls. (laughs) And this is somebody who was maybe raised in a very strict household or maybe had military family, military parents, people who were raised under much more conservative, much more traditional values than I was, for example. I was not raised in a very conservative, traditional home. And so I had a very different experience growing up that impacted the type of worker I am today. So for example, I grew up with changing technology. While my parents' generation, they had record players through their entire childhood, and that technology didn't change very much, for me, I went from cassette tapes to CDs to digital streaming to iPods and beyond. Now we're into apps, and very few people even buy stereos anymore. We just buy Bluetooth speakers. So with those changes all during my formative years, those first 20 years of my life, It's no wonder that we have two different types of workers in the workforce today. One side that tends to think, you know, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. It's worked just fine this way for a long time for me. And so don't you come in here, you little whippersnapper, and tell me how to do my job when I've been doing it fine without you. So that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum just expects constant change, which is where I am and where a lot of millennials are that, well, we should just upgrade and there's a new system for that. There's a new app for that. We need to Mm -hmm. change, change, change because things are not things will will change without us and we don't want to be left behind if we don't keep up. So the technology and our and that technology relationship that we had during our formative years that actually transitioned itself into for most people their comfort level with change. And mm-hmm. that's a frustration today. So you need to understand just where that new workforce is coming from as far as wanting to change quite often and wanting to keep up with things. Now, as I talk about the spectrum, though, it's important to know there's no right or wrong. So wherever you land, if you're more traditional mindset or more millennial mindset, it's not like I'm trying to, I'm trying to prove that one way is better than another. It's just important as a manager, leader, business owner to understand that there's a whole spectrum here from one end to the other. Which helps to explain, I suppose, the big problem that a lot of business owners cite for particularly employing millennials, how Mm -hmm. there is that change and level of commitment and those sorts of things. You hear a lot of people, you know, 
find things to complain about, but sometimes it's just they haven't yet figured out how to communicate or how to create the right environment or work culture to get the best results. And I know that's kind of, you've got a process for how you engage that audience. Absolutely. So it's going to take some operational changes and a different leadership mindset. And let me explain too about the loyalty side, because that's one of the most common complaints. But if you look at the experience that most millennials had growing up, we don't know what loyalty looks like. I mean, in many countries, divorce peaked in the 1980s or 1990s. And so my parents split when I was young, when I was 11 years old. And then soon after that, in the 90s is when the internet took over the business world and caused globalization, which had great perks. But it also meant that a lot of companies started downsizing because they Mm -hmm. could offshore or outsource, centralize, decentralize, all different strategies. And so if you think about my perspective as a child, my mom, who is a corporate accountant, she got laid off three times before I hit college. Yeah, with my my parents splitting at a young age and then my mom getting laid off again and again and again, I was taught as a child, never, ever depend on a spouse or a company for your livelihood, that I had to stand on my own two feet. And then when I came into the work world, it had to be mutually beneficial for me to stay. It had to be worth my time and you had to be paying me enough because I know that any company can let me go at nearly any time, even if I haven't done something wrong. Mm. So that really changes that perspective. So we've got to get to know these folks and where they're coming from so that we can gain their trust gain their loyalty over time. Millennials in general don't have that deep-rooted sense of loyalty and commitment that previous generations had where they will stick it out. You know, my mom Mm. would stick it out even if she didn't like the company she worked for or didn't like the boss that she worked for. And so she would stay just because she had that deep-rooted sense of loyalty that, that needed to be a priority. My generation is completely different. <laughs> I, I feel like, uh, yeah, maybe this is a little bit of a therapy session for me as well. I feel like an old soul now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now yeah. that you've explained it. It certainly could be. And another piece of that too is the authority side, which goes hand in hand with loyalty because we saw a lot of people who were not necessarily who they said they were. And so we didn't want to get duped or to get, you know, to be the naive person who got taken advantage of. And another thing our parents told us was, do not just blindly trust people. You need to do your homework. And just because they have seniority or a title over you does not necessarily mean that you should just hand over your respect and believe every word that they say. So that's another piece that really changed. My mom was told, respect your elders and you don't speak up unless you're spoken to, young lady, you know, that you don't have a voice unless I give it to you or an opinion unless I give it to you. And so, of course, me as a child, I was asked all the time, 
What do you think, Kara? What do you want for dinner tonight, Kara? Where do you want to go on vacation, Kara? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we had a voice and a vote as children. And yet when I came into the work world, I was, you know, I was reprimanded because I spoke up out of turn. I went beyond my bounds, they would say. She overstepped her bounds by talking to a board member or by giving her opinion in a staff meeting when she hasn't even been here long enough to pay her dues and earn her stripes. (laughs) So it was just incredible to me the kind of the pushback that I got as a young millennial in the workforce. And they didn't know how to deal with me because I was very, (laughs) very opinionated. And I thought, Man, if they don't treat me the way I want to be treated, I'm gone, uh, which is a lot of our workforce today. And that's, that's kind of where we are now. It also leads us, because there's this traditional mindset and a more millennial mindset, both very extreme in our workforce today, it leads us to have two different types of workers. I call it the trees who are deep-rooted in the organization, and they're probably not going anywhere. They typically don't uproot very often. And then you've got the other side, which is the revolving door. And they tend not to stay very long. (laughs) So if you think about your workforce, you know, take a minute and think about what percentage of your staff would be considered a tree that's deep-rooted and much more loyal and not going anywhere, Versus what percentage are the revolving door side that tend to be job hoppers and they're going to want to grow and change and learn new things quite often. Then if we project out, okay, so you've got that percentage. Is it 50-50? Is it 70-30? Whichever way. Now project out five to 10 years. You think you're going to have more trees or more revolving door? Because in most industries, the projections are showing us that we're going to have more revolving doors. And that tells us we have got to plan for a shorter-term workforce. Because long-term employment, for the most part, is gone. There are very few industries and very few businesses that are able to get and keep talent for 10-plus years any longer. So a few ways that that we can focus on now where you can actually extend the tenure of some of those revolving door people. I would argue that we're not going to stop the revolving door and we can't, we can't get people to stay long-term like their entire career at most organizations, but there are ways to keep a 12-month person for 24 months or to keep a three-year person to the four-year mark. And if we really get to know who our staff is and, and switch around our operational thinking and our leadership approach, we can make some, some changes there and extend the tenure of some of those shorter-term folks. I feel like, what's the secret? Handy, how's that done? (laughs) Okay, so from an operational standpoint, the first thing I recommend is make sure to gather data. Don't make decisions based on your hunches and your assumptions of what people want because a lot of your staff probably doesn't think like you and they weren't raised like you, so they have different motivators and different expectations. I highly, highly recommend doing stay interviews. So 
a lot of companies will do an exit interview when somebody puts in their notice to leave and they'll say, okay, why are you changing and why didn't you stay? But at that point, it's too late. So instead, you can do stay interviews where you just check in with your staff. It's great to do it at the 30, 60, or 90-day point for a new hire to check in on their, their feelings about the company and about the management style and operations, but also... I recommend doing it at the alternative time or alternate time of your standard performance evaluation. So if you do that annually, you can do a stay interview check-in every six months or at the six and 18 month mark. And you don't want to attach the stay interview with your performance review. This is not about how they're doing This is how you as a company are doing. And what can you do differently as an organization and as a leader to help them do their job better? Do they need anything and how is it going? So gathering data is a great way to start. Also, if you have a big enough staff to do staff surveys, official, formal staff interviews or or staff surveys, that's also a great way to, to collect feedback. And just Anytime you get a chance to ask people one-on-one, what do you think about this? How would you improve that? It doesn't have to be at a formal official level. You can absolutely do things in a very informal, casual way as you just talk to your staff on a daily basis. So that's the first thing. Don't make assumptions. Gather more data. Second is make sure that you are welcoming people into the organization. What does your onboarding and orientation look like? Because that's a great time to win over people and make sure they know they're a part of this new family and that you are excited to have them on board. Are you making a welcome basket for them? Do you do any kind of welcome note to your clients, to your customers, or even to the rest of your staff that makes sure they know who this new person is and that they also welcome them into the organizational family. Is your day one boring and terrible and I don't want to come back for day two if it's going to be just like day one or do you actually have a fun day one where we've done things like instead of just doing a tour of the office, we built scavenger hunts for new hires so that they have to figure out and find things on the tour. Or we build bingo game cards for new hires where they have to learn the jargon and the acronyms of that specific company. So you can make it a lot more fun and engaging as they come in. And then of course, when they win a game, they get a prize and it has your logo on it. What a novel idea, right? Make sure they go home that day with something, some kind of prize or gift that really makes them feel a part of your organization and a part of the team. The next thing is, based on that onboarding and orientation, what does the proper training schedule look like? Because I see a lot of companies cram a whole lot of training right up front. They say, well, they've got to know this and they've got to know that. And here's the compliance training they need within the first six months. Let's just do all of that right up front. Well, that's not necessarily the best way to do it for a few reasons. It's very, very costly to train people if they don't stick around, that you spent all your money on training them up front. And so 
that's one reason to really space out the training. Another is if you know anything about adult learning, you would know that we cannot retain that much information all at one time. And if it's crammed together, the less we actually remember down the road. So I encourage companies to think about what does my new hire need to know on day one, in week one, in month one, and in year one. And if you create your training plan or checklists based on that kind of timing, and in many industries there are, for example, safety compliance training that has to be done or HR training that must be completed. But most of those don't say that it has to be before they start working. Some of them it's within the first 30 days, within the first six months, or even within the first year on the job. So you can save money and make sure that your staff retain that information better if you revamp the way that you do your training timeline for new hires coming on board. Speaking of training, it is absolutely critical to train your managers and supervisors on today's new workforce to make sure they understand how to communicate with people, that they have training on conflict resolution, how to give and receive feedback from people, how to do performance reviews properly and effectively. What I found is that 10 or 15 years ago, many companies cut training and development. And so they promoted people over the years and just expected them to figure it out, expected them to sink or swim and to learn what worked and what didn't on the job. Well, now this new workforce that's coming in, we have higher expectations of our bosses and supervisors. We want them to be more like coaches for us and more like mentors helping us advance our career without so much criticism, but instead more of that coaching mentality. How can I do this better instead of just reprimanding me for missing the expectations? So if I had to pick one area to focus more time and effort on, it is to make sure that you are trained as a manager and leader and that all of your managers and leaders are trained on better communication and better management techniques today that will help retain that staff that's coming in. Another is to enhance your corporate communication. So many new hires complain that they don't know what's going on. They feel like they're kept out of the loop. They get inconsistent messages from different people. They'll hear one person from this leader and something, you know, one message from this leader and a different message from someone else. And so be sure that your corporate communication, the messages that need to go out to all staff, make sure it's consistent and that you have a steady drumbeat of what you want people to do, how you want them to behave. If that is covered in your core values or your mission statement, don't just cover that on day one and expect people to live it. You know, if you put posters on the wall that's not necessarily going to walk down the hall of, as far as behavior and attitude. So it really has to be instilled in people over time and they need reminders of what's expected to them, expected of them, sorry. Then we have a new workforce today that expects to gamify their life. There's a huge push in gamification within the human resources world. And where that comes from is 
a lot of people today want to level up in their personal life and their professional life. And so if we can build ways for people to level up and to advance their career, even if it's in the same job, okay, I realize that especially for small businesses, we don't have a lot of opportunities to promote someone officially from one title to another. And maybe we don't even have the money to give them a raise, but we can still advance their career. Okay, we can advance their career through more education, through mentoring. Can they have a mentor or be a mentor? Can they go back to school or get another certification? Can you do more in-house training or maybe they can participate in webinars or summits and, and online learning like this? Great ways to learn that are out there. Some are free and some, of course, are more expensive. You can find all different resources out there to help people advance their career. Even helping them build their network is another way. If they want introductions to certain types of people or they just want to learn new skills, they can often do that in a very inexpensive way. So making sure that you're not stifling their career and their advancement offering more opportunities for professional development uh, and more career paths. The old career ladder model that's very linear, that is a model of the past. Today, a lot of leadership experts call it the career jungle gym or the career lattice where you could move in all different directions to advance your career. I highly recommend taking that type of approach, yes. And I know um, sometimes uh, people think, oh, if I invest all of this time and effort into training someone up and then they leave, but then always that counter argument is, yeah, but what happens if they stay and you haven't <laughs> trained them up? So it's you don't really get an option there. You want to provide as many resources as possible to let someone grow because the, the best talent wants to improve. So create an environment where they can level themselves up. You are exactly right. And today, to be honest, education and advancement is no longer seen as a perk. It is seen as an expectation. What are you going to do to help me learn and grow and get to the next level? So something really important to remember is that many of our staff today they don't see their current job or their current role as a career. They see it as a stepping stone. And so we need to create as many ways for them to step up and level up in that role. We even help some companies create competency levels. So let's say, for example, I'll use a bank as an example. The bank teller at the window, that position is the same whether you've been doing it for six months or six years. But we all know that someone who has six years of experience is better and knows more and can do things faster than someone who hasn't been there as long. So you build out the competency levels of what someone in that role can learn over time, and then you can create a level one a level two, a level three, and you allow them to advance even within that one job description. You allow them to advance their career by leveling up over time. And that tends mm. to extend their tenure and lengthen their stay with your company because they feel a sense of advancement and accomplishment versus being stuck 
in the same role and feeling that there are no opportunities for advancement within the company. So that's when they're going to bounce out of the company to go get those opportunities. Absolutely. Another piece of this is it's so important to think about succession planning when we know we're going to have the revolving door here. So how can you be more effective in your operations and have more checklists have more documentation. I know it takes time on the front end to create those things and they do need to be updated. So they need to be created as well as you need a maintenance schedule put in place so that people can check in on those and make any updates and changes on a regular basis. But in the long run, even though it's a lot of time and effort up front, in the long run, it will save you tons of time and money by creating training manuals and checklists for certain jobs. Because it used to be you'd have one person in that role for, say, five years. But today, you may have three different people or four in that one job over the next five years. So if you have the first person create that list, create the process and protocol, you know, checklists or, or flow charts, then the next three people will be able to train up faster and have that as a resource so that they don't make as many mistakes. It's really important to go ahead and have those systems built in-house and have those resources available to new hires. Which makes sense as well um, with the higher turnover rate and the importance of having a really smart onboarding system and then also having something that's scalable and not necessarily resource heavy and everybody's getting the same experience. So I think particularly with your onboarding process and those new hires, it becomes critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one method we have done for some clients is we create an all company checklist, meaning at the beginning, day one, day two, everybody needs to learn this. And then we break it into departments. So then on day three and four, it is a department checklist of they need to know these particular systems or these resources or these processes. And then the next week becomes role specific and we create checklists and processes uh, for that specific role within that department. And that's really helpful to keep consistency across the company and then across each department and then within each role as people get trained. Absolutely. Excuse me. Another piece is the scheduling side. So making sure that you give as much flexibility as possible. Now, I know some organizations, you may actually have 24-7 staff if it is manufacturing or healthcare or a call center, something like that. And you might think, well, we don't have any flexibility because we need coverage on that. But everybody has staffing flexibility to some extent. What is the start time and end time for different shifts? And then how long are your shifts? Are you doing four-hour, six-hour, eight-hour, 10-hour, 12-hour options. The more options that you can offer, the more attractive your company becomes to get the talent that you want. And it often keeps people there because they can't get that flexibility elsewhere. So the more flexible you can be, the better. And there's great scheduling software out there. So don't think that you have to do it manually and that it will be a nightmare to have to manage because there's scheduling software and apps where staff can actually switch shifts with each other um, and or communicate what their preferred schedule and limitations would be. And then another 
big area of retention is on compensation. So of course we want to pay our people as much as possible to compete against the other market, against everybody else that's hiring. But also think about what you're offering people as far as the entire compensation package. Because some people do not care about your retirement offering. They don't care. It's not a priority for them. They're just trying to pay the bills and they'd rather have a higher wage. Some people need health insurance coverage. Others do not. Of course, depending on what your offerings are in your country, in your state, wherever you're located. So really look at the workforce that you're trying to attract and retain and ask them. This is a great survey opportunity. What benefits matter? What type of offerings do you want? Is it more flexibility? Is it working from home? Um, Other things can often weigh a lot heavier for that person than just the pay itself. And you can sometimes work your compensation model to be much more flexible because one size does not fit all. So the more flexibility you can offer in your compensation package as well as your scheduling, it will tremendously impact your ability to manage and retain this new workforce that we have today. So they, they were the effectively 10 steps that someone could deploy in their business to yes. retain staff, particularly millennials. Exactly. Um, and then from a leadership standpoint, those are more operational. But if you think a little differently as a leader, a few ways that you can really make a difference in building strong relationships with your people and build that loyalty that you want from them, I call it our case. We're going to make a case for a new leadership model here. Now, the C stands for communicate your expectations. Because your staff can't read your mind, and they may not have been raised like you were. So be sure to make your expectations clear, very, very clear. If you think any kind of judgmental phrase like, well, he should know better, or my favorite, that's just common sense. Who doesn't know that? (laughs) If you think those types of phrases or thoughts, then you probably have not communicated your expectations clearly. When I had my first job, nobody told me that I had to keep my shoes on at the office all day. (laughs) So I would just put my shoes under my desk and I would walk to the copy machine barefoot and I didn't think anything of it because it was just an office with carpet and a very small staff. So I didn't think it was a big deal, but everyone else thought that I was immature and inappropriate, unprofessional, because I was missing their expectations that they had set. Even though no one told me in my orientation that that was the expectation. So please be much more clear than you've ever been before because it's very easy to put our unwritten expectations on others and to judge them when they don't meet those expectations. Also, make sure to appreciate any job well done. That's the A here in case. And it used to be that we would appreciate people when they went above and beyond. But today, we need to shift that over to appreciate people who do their job. If they do a good job, if they show up, if they show up on time, we should recognize that effort. 
Now, this comes from, of course, the millennials. We are known as the trophy generation. And the fact that we got so many participation ribbons just because we played on the team. And so it is true that your workforce today has that expectation of a pat on the back when we do a good job. Now, if you are thinking to yourself, well, I shouldn't have to thank them because that's why they get a paycheck. (laughs) I understand that approach, but not everybody is showing up these days. And when they do show up, they're not necessarily doing their job. They might be shopping online or doing other things while they're at their desk or on the job. And so if we really think hard as leaders and business owners, we are pretty appreciative of the people that show up and do a good job. So if you just turn up the dial on your thank you meter and say, hey, thanks for doing such a great job. Thanks for taking care of our clients or our customers so well. They really love you. And man, you know these products inside and out. It's just great. And so if you just express that appreciation, it goes a long way at building a better relationship with your staff. And then they'll want to work for you because they do feel appreciated and valued in their job. The S is for spend more time with your people. Please do not land in email world for too long where you're just sitting behind a desk and looking at spreadsheets all the time. We really need to go out and work with the people, work alongside them, check in with them, ask how things are going. This is a great chance to do that surveying and to ask people, what do you think? What would you change? How can you do this better? You know, how can we help you to to do this more effectively or more efficiently? So make sure to spend more time talking with your people. It will pay off in the end. Again, that's an investment of time up front, but it pays off in the end by having less employee turnover. And then the E is about evaluating your effectiveness regularly. Please don't be set in your ways and say, well, this has worked for me, so I don't need to change things or fix my model because the workforce is changing. And I don't want you to get caught in a situation where you wake up one day and have no staff or are having a ton of trouble recruiting people because it's not a place where people want to work. That's the key. It's about creating that place where people want to be and to be a manager that people want to work for. So we have to continue to evolve and evaluate our effectiveness and even evolve with the times. So if you have a more traditional mentality and a more traditional definition of professionalism and work ethic Make sure that you stay up to date to some extent. You can stand with your core values, but I don't want you to have a workforce that is completely different than where you stand. So just keeping your finger on the pulse and make sure you know what today's workforce is up to and what they're looking for is very, very important over time. So if we think about products and services, It's very easy to see those evolve over time. For example, if you think about vehicles and and car sales, it used to be that backup cameras and Bluetooth in a car, those were luxury items. But today, those come absolutely standard on 
every basic vehicle that is sold today, that those luxury items from years ago where you had to pay extra to get those things, today, people just expect that a basic vehicle will come with those bells and whistles. Think about your employees and your future employees the same way. Their expectations from the past about flexibility and having a great boss and opportunities for advancement, those used to be perks. They were nice to have but not expected, and that has evolved. So today, we expect for companies to give us choices and to give us as much flexibility and a say in the organization and the way that it operates as much as possible. So if you or your staff need any help in understanding this millennial mindset, I'm here for you. How else can I help, David? Well, maybe just in the tail end, I don't know if you've got uh, one, we'll grab all of your contact details and we'll put them. We'll also have the document that you provided and we'll kind of round it out as far as the, the 10 steps for implementation and also the leadership changes as well. I don't know if you've got any final things. I know you've got a course. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that or, or pretty much just the next step. If people want to kind of take this conversation deeper with you, where should they go? Absolutely. So we have a team of trainers who travel and can come into companies to work with the leadership team and or all managers and supervisors. If you really need a change of mindset and you know that a lot of people in your organization and or the entire culture of your organization is not where it needs to be to retain today's new workforce, then definitely give me a call. Let's talk about that. Let's see what it looks like of what kind of transition is going to need to happen and what are your barriers or roadblocks that are keeping you from getting where you need to be for better retention. A quick and easy way to do that is we do have an online course at crescendostrategies.com and that online course is a 60 to 90 minute individual course for your managers and supervisors where it really dives into this millennial mindset and explains why we have very little loyalty. It uncovers also where we get this heightened sense of entitlement that so many young people have today. So we talk about the backstory and I share my personal stories of how I was raised differently than previous generations, which has created these monsters that we have become (laughs) in today's workforce that have very high expectations as your employees. So we're happy to help uh, by providing the online course or we'd love to come work with you virtually or on site as trainers and experts in this retention space. We specialize in reducing unnecessary employee turnover. So if your staff is not sticking around as long as you'd like, please give me a call. Perfect. That was really great. So just wanted to thank you for joining us on the Business Systems Summit. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.